We've been in a series called Not Alone. We started Not Alone last week, and it's a series on relationships, on friendships. Last week, Pastor Mark, Pastor Mark preached a message to us about God seeing us in the middle of the wilderness and the desert. And today, my title of my sermon is pretty simple, but really it conveys a deep truth. And my title for this week's message is, We Need One Another. We need one another. You know, this has been a strange year for all of us, strange year and a half now almost, or year and a quarter or whatever you want to say. None of us thought, it's kind of, I still kind of pause myself sometimes and think about the circumstances of what we're in, the challenges we've had to go through, the challenges that we're still going through. And I think one of the things that um, I've really been keeping track of and reading a lot during this time has been the studies of how people are doing. How are people doing? How's people's mental health doing? How are people doing relationally with one another in this time? And there's been so much compiled on people in this time that it's uh, not a surprise to us that a lot of us have been struggling, right? A lot of us have been struggling. A lot of us have had challenging weeks and months in this season. But one of the things that's been so clear and evident to me in this time where we've had a social distance and there's been greater isolation than any time before in our lives has really been the fact of the detriment and the damage that isolation does over long periods of time. And how much and how wired we are for relationships and community. In other places of the world, we have family in Spain and in other places of the world, they weren't even allowed to leave their house at some time. In Spain, early on in the pandemic, they were fined 1,500 euros if they were outside of their house, even just exercising in the neighborhood. I talked with my cousin not too long ago, and she said they're still confined to their neighborhoods. They couldn't leave their neighborhoods. And we've seen study after study after study um, of, of the detriment and the damage of being isolated. And, and really, it comes back to a truth that we find in the book of Genesis, a truth that we see out of Scripture that tells us that we are relational creatures. God creates the universe, and he's creating the stars and the sky and the water and the animals, the plants and vegetation, and every time he creates something, God says it's good. It's good. It's good. But when he gets to man or Adam or a human, after he's created Adam, there's something that's not good about it. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, the solution to that, let me just kind of put you at ease. The solution to that is not marriage. Single people, can I get an amen? Say it again, pastor. Say it again. Preach. The answer to Genesis uh, God saying it's not good for man or a human to be alone, the solution to that is not necessarily marriage, right? The solution or answer is really that we need relationships. We need one another. And no matter how introverted you are or how extroverted you are, if you are the social butterfly that just loves being around people, or you're like, I just need to be alone and read a book or be on my own and watch True Detective or whatever you're watching at this point, 
that you still deeply, 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 intrinsically need people. And that really when we don't have deep relationships in our life, there's an emptiness in our life because God has so wired us, whether you're an extrovert or introvert, to have deep relationships with people. And when we have deep relationships with one another, our life is the most full that it can be because God has wired us to be connected with one another. It's interesting that punishment we give to inmates, it's a sign really of a a type of torture, is to put inmates in isolation away from other inmates, right? And people that are away for too long can actually go crazy. We need one another. And I believe that each of us have relationships in here. We have friendships, dating relationship, marriage, family, coworkers, all important relationships. But I believe right under the importance of your relationship with your spouse and your immediate family, I believe is the importance of having relationships with the people of God. I believe that it is of the utmost importance to you and your spiritual health. If you wanna have a strong walk, a strong walk with Jesus, if you wanna grow in your faith and say, I wanna go to the next level, one of the key, most important things that you can do in your walk, reading your Bible, yeah, that's good. Praying, I love that. But one of the most important things that you can do to grow in your faith is to have deep relationships with other believers. And let me say a caveat just to kind of understand the reality of the situation. I understand that you may be here this afternoon, eight minutes in, and you may um, have hurt in your life from relationships, whether it's Christians or not. Some of you guys have had really uh, bad experiences. Maybe you've even been hurt here by somebody that disappointed you, hurt you, and um, I acknowledge that. I know that relationships are difficult and they're hurtful, and Really, the people that can hurt us the most are those that are often closest to us, right? People we trust, we let into our life. But let me say this right at the front end of this as we dive in. Relationship risk is worth the reward. I was talking to a, a young lady recently who we were talking through her relationships and she's been hurt at a deep level and she keeps people kind of at this distance. And I told her, I said, let me tell you something. I said, I know why you keep people there because you've been hurt at a deep level, but let me tell you something else. You will never live the life that God's calling to you to live if you keep people at a distance. And it may require you, and I'm not saying just jump fully into the deep end of trust with relationships, but God has created you not to have a stiff arm to people. And if you keep people there, you'll have the, you'll have the leftovers of a relationship. God has called you, even us that have been hurt, to put our arm down and trust again because the risk is, is worth the reward. As we dive into this, I wanna give you a couple extra bonus on the top, jelly on the bread, butter on the bread, whatever you put on the bread, peanut butter and all that other stuff. Extra before we dive into the benefits of why we need the church because I feel like I don't want you to miss this. And there's some foundational truths that if you miss it, we're gonna be on the wrong page the whole time we're, I'm, I'm speaking and we're, and we're communicating. So let me say this. Number one, don't write this. This is not one of your points. Don't. You don't go to church. You are the church. I, I want you to, before we really dive into the meat of this, I need you to get some of these foundational bricks in here because 
I know the language that we use, right? We're going to church this morning, get ready, get dressed. We're leaving at this time, get here. You're going to church, I'm going to church. I understand the language of that, and I don't think it's really ever gonna change, so I don't think we need to change it. But I want you to understand that we don't go to a church. Uh, we are the church. This building uh, is not the church. Uh, this summer, uh, as we weren't able to meet in the building, we were in the parking lot or meeting online, we realized, you know what? The church can function with a building or without a building. If we have one, great, it's a blessing. If we don't, the church is still here. If this building was to burn down tomorrow and there was to be ashes in it, can I tell you, the church wouldn't cease to exist. The church is still here. We'd still be on mission. We'd still be making disciples. We'd still be worshiping the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. A building, a building, this is just a resource, a place for us to do ministry, but this building is not what the church is. The church is the people of God. The church is anyone who professes and believes that Jesus is the son of God who came on earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and resurrected after three days and puts their trust and faith in what Jesus has done on the cross to wipe us clean and have peace with God. When you make that decision, let me tell you, you are part of the church. Welcome. So the church is not a building. I know we say it and it's our language and I don't think it's going to change. And I could talk to you about the root of why we get there, but too long, another day, another sermon. But we are the church. You and I are the church. Nudge the person next to you, say, you are the church. You're a follower of Jesus, you are the church. And to get a little technical here, give you a little deep theology so you can go impress everybody that you know, the church, when we see that word in the New Testament, the word ekklesia is the word in Greek that we see in the New Testament for the church. It's used 111 times, let me say it again, ecclesia, and what it means is it doesn't mean building, what it means is a called out assembly, a called out group of people, a called out congregation. And you say, well, what are we as the church? What are we called out to? I want to understand why we call it that. Well, 1 Peter 2.9 says, you and I think, oh, this is good. You and I have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we're not here just trying to make you a better person. We believe that Jesus came to make dead people alive. And so Jesus took us out of our darkness, out of our destruction, out of our mess. He took us out of his darkness, and by his blood, he brought us into his light. That's what it means. You're the called out ones from the darkness. You don't live in the darkness anymore. He's called you out of there. That's where you came from. You are called in the light, called as a son of God, called as a daughter of God, called as an ambassador of Christ is what scripture says. You have titles, you're not from where you used to be. That's where you were, you're the called out ones. And so when we say church, it brings a greater meaning. When we understand it's not four walls, these lights go out, it's with the called out ones from the darkness to the light. Something else that's foundational for us to understand before we do our, our dive here is that Jesus, I know how we refer, and once again, this is our language that we use. Some of you say, oh yeah, I'm going to Pastor Mark's church or I'm going to this person's church or that church or, and, and I, you know, I had somebody recently say, and I know what they mean, so there's no hardness, but they said, you know, you're the, you're the head of our church. And 
I understand what they mean. I get it. You're the lead pastor. Get it, get it. But can I tell you, biblically speaking, I'm not the head of the church. Don't, don't give me credit I don't deserve. Uh, I'm also not the founder of the church. Uh, and you know, I know we talk sometimes about my dad and we use that language, but really who the founder of the church and the head of the church currently actively is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the head of the church and the founder of the church. We don't visit his grave. He's alive and well, sitting on the throne of the universe, sustaining it all in one moment of every second of every time. Jesus is the head of the church, and he has established his church. It's always interesting to me that people say, oh, I don't really like organized religion. And my dad's joke is always, well, come to us. We're disorganized religion. But people who say, I don't know if I like the, you know, the church and organized religion, I'm just sitting here like, you know, the church is, the church is led by Christ. The church is founded by Christ. It's not a man-made uh, idea that came up and people said, this was really good. What if we did it this way? No, 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 no. It's a God idea, a deity invention, the church. Scripture says, God called you before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Before he was done creating the world, he called you. He had the plan already set in his mind and his masterpiece already that he was going to call you and make you part of his church before he laid the foundation of the world. You are called, chosen. And Jesus is the founder and the head. I'm getting kind of too deep into this, but Colossians 1.18 says he is also the head of the body, the church. Matthew 16, 18 says, I, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I will build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church is unstoppable. The church will not fail. The church will not falter because the church was not built on human origins. The church was built on deity. And let me say one final truth, and we'll really dive in. You guys are saying, come on, Pastor, keep going. Okay, just, the church is God's family. The church is God's family. And if you have made a decision to follow Christ and you're a Christian, let me tell you what goes, the term Christian means Christ-like, but let me tell you what else scripture says about you. Scripture says you are part of God's family. Part of his household. First Timothy 3.15 says the church, the church, the called out ones. The church is God's household is what it says. You are a child of God, a son or a daughter of the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And let me tell you, that bestows great value upon you. You have great worth behind, behind you and in you when you stand before your father. And scripture refers to him as the perfect father. That your perfect father has adopted you into his family. Not just a friend with you. Not just washed you of your sins. But adopted you into his family. He's not ashamed of you. He wants you in his family. It's a very personal type of relationship that he wants with you from a father to a child. That's the language that God chose to use. He didn't have to, but he wanted you to know that he wanted all of you. A deep, intimate relationship. This church 
is not just an organization or a group of people, but it is the family of God and the price that was paid for you and I was a high price. It was the price of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. You, if you're the church, you and I, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you are the most important group in the world because Jesus paid the ultimate price to have you. Now that we understand the fun things and the deep truths, let's jump to why we need a family. And I'm gonna go quickly through this, but why we need a church family. Why should I be a part of a gathering like this? I, I hear what you're saying, and okay, I'm, 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 we're moving together, but, but, but help me understand why this is so deeply important. And we're gonna turn to the passage of Hebrews chapter 10, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Why we need the church, we need to motivate one another, and we need that motivation from one another as well. It's part of the reason why we need the church. We need that spurring, that motivation, that push that comes from being a people that are on mission. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says, verse 24. And let us consider, speaking of the church, let us, let us the church, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. One of our responsibilities as a community together is actually to spur, push, motivate one another to really be all that we can in Christ. This word spur is an is amazing word. I, I really think it, when you look deeper into it, it brings a lot of truth to understand what it means this word spur, when you look in the language, it means to provoke. It actually means to bug. You know, like what your little sibling or your older sibling or whoever was bugging you. Can we go? Stop, stop bugging me. Touching me. You're touching me. I'm not touching you. You're touching me. You're touching me. And this word is actually used other places in the New Testament in a negative, in a negative way, but here it's used, it, used in a positive way, and it's saying, hey, listen, let me re, re kind of quote it for you. We need to consider how we can bug one another, push one another, provoke one another, motivate one another towards love and good deeds. You need, and I need, someone in my life who's going to push me and poke me to be all that I can be in Christ. You need holy peer pressure. You need someone that's gonna nudge you in the right way that said, hey, are you getting into your word? Are you praying? Are you, are you getting together with the church? Are you in a small group? Are you serving? Are you living in purity? You need someone in your life that's a follower of Christ who's going to push you, push you, challenge you, love you into what? Push you into doing more good and push you into living out greater love. Each and every single one of us, each and every single one of us, talking to Christians, are gifted and God has a purpose that he wants to use you for. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given, this is to the church, has given each of you a gift 
from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Okay, so we all got a spiritual gift. What's our purpose? Use them to serve one another. God has given each one of you as the deal part of salvation package, I like to say. He's given you a spiritual gift to serve one another. You say, well, what's, what's my purpose? Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are God's handiwork. Other translations say masterpiece. You are God's handiwork or masterpiece. Created for what? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. Think about that for one moment. God has given you gifts and abilities. You are his masterpiece, and he has actually created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, good deeds, good things. And some of those good deeds that you and I will do in our life, this kind of blew my mind when I really understood, some of those good things that we will do in our life, some of those opportunities that we will have that are good things actually are preordained, in other words, given to you in advance before you even knew about it from God himself. God has things in it. He's so involved in your life. He has such a mission and a purpose and a calling for your life that he has literally pre-planned things that you're just gonna stumble into that God's like, I planned it. You're just gonna be like, I don't, this opportunity came out of nowhere. I just didn't, and I was like able to do, and God's like, me? That was me? It just came out, it just felt like it came out of heaven. God's like, it did. I, that was me. I prepared that because I am so invested in your story and have called you to so much that I'm actually preparing in advance things for you to do because you are called out. You are special. I want to use you. This is why you were created for. A purpose that we all carry together is found in Matthew 28, 19, which says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See, God has not just washed us free of our sins so that we can just enjoy the goodness of what it means to be in him. Yeah, that's part of it. But he's also given us the gospel, which means the good news, what Jesus has done on the cross, for us to share with other people that are still in the darkness from where we came from. God has given you something that's so precious. It's a message that transformed your life and transformed, continues to transform lives. It takes people, when they fully understand the message by the work of the Holy Spirit, it takes the dead person and makes them alive. It, makes, it takes the person that's old and makes them new. You have been entrusted as an ambassador of Christ with the gospel message that transforms lives. And he didn't just say, enjoy that and just totally get to know the deep truths of what I've done for you. That's part of it. But then you need to take that and go back to the darkness and let everybody else know, say, you were blind and I, you are blind and I was blind, but let me help you see. Here's the message of Jesus. (laughs) 
we have gifts and purpose, and you and I need to be part of a family, a church family, a community, a local church of people where we are living out our faith shoulder to shoulder with one another, and just being around this community is spurring you on to do more good and to love better. Being a part of a church, that's what the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is saying. That's what God's saying. God's saying, listen, being a part of this community, knowing people in this church should make you love your spouse better, should push you to love your kids better, should, should challenge you or nudge you to love your neighbor better. Being part of this community and knowing one another and seeing how one another live, this should push you to do more good deeds, to go out of your way to help people, to serve people. Seeing that's part of what the church's purpose is, is that when you're together, you rub off on one another, not in a bad way, but you rub off on one another in a good way. I remember I was around this, a friend of mine, I was spending a lot of time with him and when I was in college, and I, I realized that, that I realized too late that he was really cynical about life. That uh, everything that kind of, he just always saw it through a negative lens. You know, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? So many lives, it's just always like, no matter what happens, you know, it's, it's 80 degrees in January, and they're like, yeah, but where's the snow? Where's the snow? It's 80 degrees in January. This is crazy. It just, I miss the snow, though. Snow's better. Snow's in January. Just people who are just always kind of negative, cynical. And I'll tell you what happens, because it happened to me. When you're around somebody for a good amount of time, eating with them, hanging out with them, doing this and that with them, and they have that just kind of negative, cynical mindset about everything, can I tell you what happened to you? You will get negative and cynical. The more time you spend with them, the more negative and cynical you will get. You are in heavily influenced, and I am too, by the people that are around me. And so what I realized, and I, I've had some of these moments in my life where I've had people in my life who either were not really serious about their faith, and I still have people in my life that I'm friends and have relationships with that aren't Christian, but I realize what happens when I'm around people who are really, really cynical, I get cynical, and I've also realized what happens, and Scripture warns about this, what happens when I'm around people who maybe are Christians, but they're backslidden, and they're starting to live kind of like the, the old ways that they live, and I'll tell you what happens to me, and I've been a, I've been a Christian for a while. What happens to me is I'm, I'm tempted to compromise, and the more that I'm around somebody that compromises, the more that I want to compromise. The more that I'm around somebody that's cynical, the more that I want to be cynical. And it just starts to naturally happen. Even if you don't want to be a cynical person, it's what starts to naturally come out because you're rubbing shoulders all the time, hearing their thoughts, discussing things. And the same thing happens when you're around people who are really trying to live for God. And they're really saying, God, would you help me love my wife and my, or my husband better? Would you help me love my neighbors better? Would you help me love my children? Because they are stressing me out with all this e-learning. But God, would you help me? When you're around people who are saying, I'm trying to be patient and kind and loving and self-controlled, and you're around people who are just living out the goodness of what God has done, and they're living out their good deeds, and they're serving people and helping people and going the extra mile, giving the coat off their back to help them. When you're around that, can I tell you what happens? You start to get that in your life too. You're like, I don't know. I just, I just want to help people. 
people. I just want to love people. I just want to bless people. I just want to serve. I, I saw somebody that's generous and I want that. I want to be like that. See, that's what happens when you're part of a healthy church. You start getting more healthy. When you're part of a church that's really living the gospel, you really start wanting to live in the gospel. When you're part of a church that's really loving one another and their neighbor, you want to start loving people. And it's the great effect of the people that you're around and God saying, listen, I made it that way. And I want you to be around people who are living on mission for me, who are trying to love and live and love more and are also living out in good deeds and good things and good stuff because they want to honor their Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's a passage in 1 Peter that says, when we do good deeds, actually those good deeds can actually lead people to accepting Christ, accepting Christ from seeing the good that we do. It says it puts them to shame. And that's what I want in my life. I tell you what, I'm, the older I get, the more another year goes by, the more picky I am about the people that I want close to me the more picky I am about the people that I want to brush shoulders with. You know what? Because I need people who are crazy about Jesus. I haven't reached the point that I'm, I'm like, hey, I made it. I want a people who are loving people well around them and they're, they're humble and they're, 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 just, they're living out what God has called them to live. Those are the people that I want around me because I want to be that person. It's the reason that we've, out of this location, in the last year and a couple months, have fed 100,000 people just out of this location. Church-wide, 1.2 million people in the last year and a quarter. 1.2 million people. Number two, we need to know, I wrote this different ways. You can write, we need to meet with one another. I'll let it pass, I'll let it pass. Or you can write, we need to know one another. Verse 25, Hebrews continues, 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, this year has been a weird year for church. First couple months of the pandemic, we had to shift online, buildings were closed, we we're all trying to figure out are we, are, are we essential or not essential? Everyone's like, I think I can like kind of smudge my way into essential, I think. We're all trying to figure that out. A couple months went by, then we all decided, we decided, hey, we wanna have a service and it's not safe to do it in a building, you're not permitted yet for our size, so we decided to do services outside. The neighbors loved the 7 a.m. music. They were super excited to hear worship music. They said, louder, louder, we wanna worship Jesus too. And we said, okay, crank it up. It was hot, it was so hot. Some of those days, Pastor George, and he had Koto was translating for him, and one of the Sundays, Koto's shoes actually warped, and his Bible, which was leather, warped too, because it was in the sun that was so hot. My dad's iPad shut off. It was just, it was a lot of fun. The bees, we never have had bees ever outside, and we had the devil's bees built into the brick. Every week, these bees were going out. People in the front were like, we, we thought the Holy Spirit, like, okay, Holy Spirit, you're working in people. Like, 
was like, okay, Jesus, work all you got to work, but, but we met. We met and made a decision even to come back in the building and do outdoor services because I knew how important it was to gather with one another. I was talking to so many people whose marriages were falling apart. They were just, they were going through the time of their life. Pastor, I lost my job and I don't know what's gonna happen and I'm, I'm wrestling my faith and I just felt like, okay, like we are in crisis mode. Like this is, people are just, think people who are solid were like, they're falling apart and we need to be there. And I felt like we were just running around with band-aids and packing, patching people up and, and there's so much going on. I said, we need, we can't afford not to meet as a church. We need, in this time, this is when the church gets together, stays united, is tight. Church throughout history, throughout our history of the church, the church has stepped into the pandemics and plagues, putting their life on the line. That's the church that you and I are a part of. And the black plague, bubonic plague, those, the, the Christians are like, everyone's like, we're leaving. The Christians are like, we'll go in, we'll do it. We'll be the doctors in those times, and maybe the gospel will be reached to somebody that's dying and their life is over. Christians run into the storm, into the fire, into the danger in the middle of pandemics and storms. figuring out how to take care of people in hospitals that we can't go meet. So we're putting iPads and getting iPads and talking with them. It was a crazy time, but I knew, I knew, I said, this church that I'm responsible for before God, we need to gather because we need one another. We need, I don't know if I could wait a couple more months. I don't know what's going to happen to people's faith and their walk and their marriages. If we wait a couple more months and we made those decisions because we knew the importance of gathering. And this is no different. People have gathered all the way since the early church. We see in Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I don't know if I can make it on church on Sunday. Early church? Every day. You're like, you're going to church? It's like, that's Sunday. They're like, no, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, that, that's how the early church functioned. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The early church does a lot of the same things that we do. We're basing our model off what they did. We're just following the pattern. They worshiped. They had a practice of spiritual gifts. They had teaching, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, the Lord's Supper, which is communion, baptism, which we did last week. And Hebrews, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, he's really warning us here as Christians. And to give you a little context, he's speaking to people in a time that were being persecuted by Nero, which was one of the worst emperors and one of the worst persecutions that Christians have ever gone through and these Christians were really suffering for being Christians. I know sometimes we think we're being persecuted, and sometimes we are. But sometimes it's just you being rude to the clerk at the Mariano's or Pete's Market. You come past her, you just wouldn't believe I got persecuted. Got persecuted. I said, what happened? Well, I was talking smack to the clerk and then they kicked me out of the store, pastor. 
Sometimes people get fired from their jobs just for being jerks, and they're like, I'm just happy I'm taking the persecution for Jesus. I'm like, you're not taking persecution. That was just a jerk move. Sometimes we just, it's not persecution. It's just that we're not acting right. But sometimes it's real persecution. These Christians were going through real persecution, and they were being killed, stripped from their homes, their businesses taken away. Nero had Christians uh, alive, stuck on poles, drenched in oil, is getting graphic, and lit on fire for his chariots. Like, that's the type of guy that Nero was. And these Christians were like, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Like, is this gonna cost me my business, my family, my life? Is it worth it? Is it worth gathering with the church? And God is saying to them in this passage, don't give up meeting together. In the middle, in the middle or death of, in, in a death or life situation where persecution is at the highest level, the author of Hebrews and God ultimately is speaking to these persecuted Christians and to us today and saying, listen, no matter what season you're going through in life, don't forsake the gathering. He's saying this is so essential to you staying healthy, to you walking strong, to you not just doing the sprint of faith, but the marathon of faith. Getting together with one, another's, one another on a consistent basis is part of how you live out your faith, grow in your faith, learn to love and serve one another in your faith. He's saying you cannot forsake this. This is something that's vitally important to you, growing to be all that you can in Christ. Don't leave this behind. Don't say it's not important, it's not valuable. God's saying this is something that is detrimental to your spiritual health and your spiritual growth. Don't forsake the gathering. And we need these gatherings to help us grow to allow us to build relationships with one another. It's really hard to build relationships with one another if you're here once a month or you're here every, you go to something every quarter. You gotta know people. You gotta say, you know what, I'm gonna open myself up and get to know one another because God has created this, this for him and for you. I need to be, my own faith, I need to be in this gathering. I need to see your faith. I need to be pushed I need to see people living out their walk with Jesus and loving and doing good and going above and beyond. And just, I'm just like, come on, you've been here. They're like, no, I just, sometimes I'm like, you've been here all day. Like, go with your family. They're like, no, I just, I know, I know we'll get there soon. But I just, I talk to people serving. It's like, I just, I'm doing it for Jesus. I want to love. And there's a balance there. But I, oftentimes we're on the balance of we're not doing enough rather than we're doing too much. Be in a small group. Get to know people. It's the beauty of church. It's a relationship with other believers who are walking and running the race with you. Last but not least, we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews finishes with this last verse. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I never talk to somebody and they tell me, I encourage them, say, hey, I just want you to speak into your life and how much I've seen you grow. And they go, stop, stop, pastor, stop. I'm just overflowing with encouragement today. I never have somebody stop me mid-encouragement, just stop, pastor, give it to someone else. I'm just flowing. I'm just flowing. Life's so easy for me. 
No, typically it's someone who has a smile on their face and I just feel prompting from God or I see them doing something. I just wanna speak into their life because I know God's challenged me and I see what he tells me to encourage. It says encourage, in other passages it just says encourage one another daily. And so I try to practice that in my life. And I'll tell you what, I have had more people probably cry over just spontaneous words of encouragement than probably anything else in talking to people. And it's simple. Sometimes it could come at the end of a conversation Sometimes it can just come, you see somebody doing something. It doesn't have to be a long thing. It doesn't have to be a long speech. It could just be a little word you give to them. Hey, I just want you to know I've seen you. You've been faithful. I've seen how consistent. I've seen how you've grown in this season. I just want you to know I see you. I've seen that. I've seen the change in your life, and I see how you love people, and how you just, you just, you're so generous in the way you live. I see that. I just want you to know that right there is a word of encouragement. I've had time for people start weeping before me and they go, I was about to just quit everything. I was about to stop, drop out of church, you know, destroy my marriage and sleep. I was about to do that. And that word right there kept me from the edge. That word right there instilled me with the fuel to keep pushing on. That what you said, you didn't even know. I've had people come back months later like, you didn't even know what you said at that time, but that word that you gave me changed my life. And I'm like, I just said, thank you for serving and God's word. And it's just like, you saying it though, I didn't see it in myself. Thank you for saying something I didn't see in myself. I'm trying to help you understand that people around you We ourselves, we need encouragement, but people around us need it too. And if we started practicing and living this out and just started encouraging people, every time you're with the church, every time you're around people that you care about, you just started, just start, it's good to be uncomfortable for you in the beginning. You may say, I just, I, thanks. Job good, you. Some of you, it's like like pulling teeth out. It's like, I love friends, thanks. But I tell you what, start practicing it. I guarantee you, you will start to see a radical transformation in your relationships. People will start to gravitate towards you because everybody gravitates to somebody who's speaking life. Start speaking life of encouragement into your children. Start speaking it into your spouse. Start speaking it into your friends and your coworkers and your boss. Start speaking it into your small group and other believers you don't know. You just see them serving or you see them over here and doing their thing. Start speaking life and start seeing how people are drawn to you because people are dying, dying for a word to be spoken into their soul about who they are and what they're doing and what God is transforming them. And God has given you the power giving you the power to speak and the command, more importantly, to speak life into your brothers and sisters, and you and I can make all the difference with just a few words. He says, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day. The day approaching is the day that Jesus returns. He's saying Jesus is coming back, and this time he's coming back quickly. It's going to be a short window. We don't know exactly when it's going to be, but we need to make sure that we're gathering and that we're encouraging one another. You know why? Because Scripture says the closer we get to the end, the harder it's going to get. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. It's going to get harder. For those of you that have really experienced persecution in one way or another, whether it's inside your family, your workplace, can I tell you, that's just the start. Because what you, if you're a Christian, you're a Bible-believing Christian, can I tell you, 
a lot of the world views your truth as archaic, as old, as irrelevant. But we as Christians know that truth doesn't change just because culture changes. God stays the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the truth of his word stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. His words will not be altered. They will not be changed. His truth is truth, and it's always truth. Truth doesn't evolve. It doesn't change. It doesn't get better. It doesn't, hey, I need to adapt to the times. Truth is truth. And the world we live in today, and you're aware of it as I am, the world we're living in today is, it does not agree with that. The world we live in today says, you make your own truth. What do your thoughts tell you? What do you feel? And let your feelings and your thinkings lead you to whatever your truth is. So my truth can be different than your truth and your truth can be different than your truth. And don't step on my truth because it's my truth and I won't step on your truth. And we live in the insanity of everybody has their own truth. That is already creeping into the church. That already we will feel more pressure from. And it will, I don't know if it's in my lifetime or my children's lifetime, but it will come down the pipeline where Christians will get persecuted. Christians will, in America will get imprisoned, will lose their businesses, will be potentially put in jail. All of these things are coming down the pipeline because if, if the easy thing is to succumb and adapt and change our truth to whatever people want to believe. But for those of you who are going to stand on the word of God, you will have a difficult time. The writer of Hebrews is speaking out of this, out of persecution, about where we're going. It will come. It will come. And he's saying, you need each other more than ever, the later it gets. How do you survive the persecution when people are against you and Everyone's saying you're a bigot and you're this and you're that and they're accusing you and name calling you. You're looking at trial and paying court fees because you believe in truth. What happens then? Who do you need? You don't stand alone. You stand with the church right beside you with believers who are believing and walking alongside you who are living in love and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through them in, in court like the word says and allowing God to function. And even when everyone's against you, allowing our good deeds to shine even greater so it ashames people that said, these, we have a problem with these people. We're saying, we're just gonna keep loving. We're just gonna keep doing good. We're gonna keep blessing people, but we will not compromise on the truth of the word of God and we will not compromise on who Jesus says. Jesus says there is, he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way but through Jesus and that truth, that truth, hear me clearly as I finish this sermon, that truth right there eventually will bring persecution into your life. That truth right there that Jesus is the only way to salvation, the only way, not one of the ways or a variety pack. He is the only way that truth will get you in trouble. But that truth will also get you eternal life. Let's rise. I don't know where my life would be if I didn't have a church like this to walk alongside me. My faith wouldn't be where it's at. My understanding of scripture wouldn't be nearly where it's at. I needed and I still need you. 
I need believers in my life. I stand in the back of the auditorium and see people with their hands raised and surrender. I need that for my soul. I need to be in small groups with one another just to hear about what you guys are going through and to be spurred on and how you're living your faith out. And you're no different than me. You need that too. As days get more challenging and times are coming, it always happens. Everything repeats itself. You need the church. You need God's family. And I never want you to get trapped in the, in the trap that so many people get stuck in in America where they come to a service and that's the extent of their Christianity. They enjoy a service and they hear it, but they never serve. They never get to know people. Everyone's kind of a stranger. That's okay for a season, for a short time. You're new at, we understand that, but, but God, God has called you to so much more. This is his community that he's made for you to flourish and grow and be encouraged and challenged, to be comforted and have people cry with you and support you and take care of you, pray for you, walk with you through your worst and most difficult seasons and your best moments. That's why God created his church to accomplish the mission of the gospel and to live out his calling. And we're gonna end with a worship song. But I have two calls. If you need to join a small group, you right now don't know anybody. If you're newer, that's okay, but you gotta take that step. But if you've been around for a while and you kinda, I'm just kinda checking things out. If you've checked it out for a while, now you gotta decide. Ask yourself this, am I just attending or do I belong? And I want you to join a small group. There'll be a link on the screen. There's also a Next Step Center over there. If you say, hey, I need to get relationships. I need that, Pastor. God's pushing, pressing your heart this morning. But also, if you're saying today, you're saying, I need to cross the line from just saying, I'm gonna hear the truth to I am really gonna be I'm gonna step into all that God's called me to be. I'm gonna belong and be a part of this church. There's a shift in your language when you go from that church to my church, your church to our church. And some of you today, God is calling you to cross that line, cross that line and say, I'm gonna start really being a part of the community the way that God has called it. I want to know my family. I want to walk alongside my family. I don't know anybody, but I'm going to take the step to get to know people and allow myself to flourish and become all that God has been amongst his people because he has made it this way. And so as we worship, I'm going to walk off stage, but I want to invite you forward. If that's a step you're taking, I want to invite you forward to just come up at the altar. It's a place to respond to God. And I want you to kneel down and just say, God, I'm crossing the line today. Today, I take a step of really belonging here. Today, I cross that step of saying, this is my church. I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines. I'm gonna get involved. That's a line. And if you're willing to cross that, as our worship team prays, I'm inviting you forward to come up and make that commitment to God. Make it to God. I'm not gonna be, make it to God. Say, God, I'm crossing the line. I'm becoming, I'm stepping into what the church has called me to be. I'm called to be that. 
And if you're a Christian and you've been sitting on the sidelines, I'm not gonna beat around that bush either. If you've been sitting on the sidelines and God's called you, you've been out for a little, get back into ministry, get plugged back in, get into community. You're not immune either and I'm not immune either. We need one another. And so as I walk off the stage, this altar is open. Let's sing.